0: Last week, we began Daniel chapter 2, and we looked at the fact that humanism is not invincible. It sometimes appears to be, but we saw from the scriptures that uh, humanism has its weaknesses that God takes advantage of, and down through history, we have seen time after time when humanistic societies have been brought to the place of recognizing their bankruptcy. It may be only momentary when they get another solution and they try another and another. But God does bring people to the place where they recognize their bankruptcy in terms of uh, their intellectual answers or economically or socially or spiritually or in some other fashion. And uh, I briefly mentioned last time that Christians need to be prepared to stand in the gap when that happens to be able to answer those questions that society brings. And there's two things I think we can count on. The first thing we can count on is that humanism's answers will fail, and uh, that's going to be true in the family, that's going to be true in society, whatever level you look at. And the second thing that we can count on is that God's answers will never fail. Uh, He is the manufacturer. He's given us the manufacturer's manual I think, unfortunately, what we can't count on in between is that we have Christians who are available and ready to bring those answers to the problems that come when a person's, a family maybe is falling apart or a disaster has come into an individual's life. Daniel was ready, not just intellectually, but he was ready in terms of how his life related to the Lord God. And he was ready at a moment's notice to stand in the breach and to take territory for King Jesus. Now, what I've given to you in your outlines there are 10 essentials that I, I believe have always been prerequisite to standing in the gap. And it may be that you're standing in the gap for a friend whose life has fallen apart. Uh, it may be a much more high profile like Daniel had, but I think we all need to be do, ready to do what we can in the situations God brings into our lives. The first essential is God-given wisdom. Verse 14, then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Ariah. Uh, There are two words for wisdom in the Aramaic there. Uh, The first is the application of knowledge to the situations of life. It's uh, God-given, but it is through the learning that we have. Knowledge is not enough. Wisdom goes beyond knowledge. It has the ability to apply that knowledge in the tricky situations of life, and that is something that comes from God. And we're not told exactly what Daniel said, other than one little snippet, but he in some way shared the learning that he had, was able to have insight into the situation that he was at and influence Ariok. The second word is literally in the Aramaic taste. Same word that you would use for your tongue tasting something. And so there is at least one translation that thought, well, maybe that's an idiomatic expression for tact. He had tact in the way in which he responded. That's a possibility, but um, some of the commentators point out that this is really talking about an an immediately um, received discernment, a discernment into the situations that a person is in. uh, One commentator said it was the instincts of judgment, discernment, a sense of the realities of the situation. Now, when you speak of taste, you speak of people having good taste in this or that. Uh, taste is not just for food. Um, people have a, such a highly developed sense of taste in various areas that they can distinguish things other people cannot distinguish, uh, maybe in clothing or in, uh, in food. Where, where I came from in Canada, tea was the big drink. Hardly anybody drank coffee. And there were some of the people that were uh, tea testers who had such highly developed sense of taste that you could blindfold them, give them a cup of tea, and they could tell pretty well where that tea came from, which country it came from. Uh, There are some people with such highly developed sense of taste that even if there's just traces of a spice in the food, they can tell you every spice uh, that is there, even though it's maybe indistinguishable uh, to others. Well, that same word is used here as having a sense, a developed sense of the situation, an insight into what is happening to be able to stand in the gap. Now, we reform people, I think we tend to emphasize the first side of things, growing in our knowledge and recognizing, yes, we need God's wisdom to apply that knowledge in the situations of life, very important, but I don't think we should neglect the other side Ah. either. We need illumination. We need discernment. We need the Lord opening our senses uh, as to the situations that we are in if we are to minister effectively. And I have had this uh, lived out many times in my life where I have uh, sought to minister to people with the knowledge that I have gained through my own studies and run up against brick walls. And in other occasions where the Lord has been able to pierce through as I've humbled myself before the Lord and said, Lord, I cannot do this. I need your wisdom. I need insight into what is happening in this person's life. And God says that discernment and that wisdom, both of those words, are the heritage of all God's people. We can ask for that, and the Lord can give it. And believe me, when you come into those situations where there are gaps, where you need to make those quick decisions and stand in the gap, you're going to need both types of wisdom. Secondly, God-given boldness is important. You can really see that all the way throughout this passage. It would have been very easy for Daniel to panic uh, in the situation, but he dialogued with uh, Ariok. It would have been very easy for him to assume, there's no way I can gain access to the king's court. Just think of even the queen, Esther. This is down the road a little ways. But Queen Esther, here she's the king's wife. She doesn't dare go into his presence without being invited, or it could mean her death. And yet we find in verse 16, it says, So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. may have seemed like a brash thing to do, and yet because of the situation, it called for bold action. It called for bold action, and God is the giver of that boldness. It may be an entirely different kind of a a, a situation calling for boldness for you. You might uh, think of the, um, the maid of Naaman. Name in the Syrian in 2 Kings chapter 5. She was an Israelite who was captured, and uh, she was very insignificant in that household, one of the people who was to be seen and not heard. Uh, she was only to speak when spoken to, and yet she sensed that there was something that was needed in that situation, and she said this concerning her master's leprosy. If only my master were with the prophet who was in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. The very little statement that she made, and yet because of her discernment of the situation and her boldness, God used that statement to eventually lead Naaman uh, to salvation and to influence the king. The king no longer attacked um, uh, uh, Israel as a result of that little girl standing in the gap. Our kids watch um, uh, an animated cartoon uh, uh, thing from Disney, uh, Robin Hood, It's an excellent movie. But in there, Little John says to Robin Hood, faint hearts never won fair ladies. And you know, faint hearts are never able to stand in the gap because of their timidity. When God opens the opportunity, they hesitate. And we need that God-given boldness. And you might say, well, I'm not naturally bold. Well, neither were the disciples. They fled. They were fearful. And in the book of Acts, they prayed for boldness, recognizing it is not something that is natural, it is something that is divinely given and specially tuned to the situation that they might walk into. In Acts, they prayed, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now this sermon is not intended to make timid people feel guilty. It's intended to tell you that you have a source you can run to for boldness, and the Lord will give that boldness in the time that, is, that it is needed. And uh, on many of these essentials, I think the whole church needs to be shaken. By the Holy Spirit, it needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can stand in the gap when needed. The third essential is godly support from other Christians. In verse 17, then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Even though Daniel was the point man, he knew how much he needed the support of these friends who, over the last three years, had held him accountable, had pushed him, had encouraged him, had given them the support to make Daniel the man that he was. And yet how many times do we go through life feeling like, well, I've got to do this on my own. I can't put somebody out. I, I have to speak to myself on this one because I grew up being a certified loner. I was taught to be independent, uh, to do things myself, and yet God has shown me we need each other. We need the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's one of the reasons that we've instituted home groups. Why we, I keep harping on this, but why we feel everybody needs to be a part of home groups. They're not just areas, outposts for conquest. They are that, but they're also areas where we can be accountable to each other, where we can support and grow in the Lord as we challenge each other in those areas. Now, there are times, I just mentioned Naaman's maid, where we can stand in the gap without the support of others, but that is not God's normal means. In fact, even before the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, God said of Adam, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, in a sense, he wasn't alone. He was with God. Yet God himself said, that is not enough. God structured us so that we would need the help of others. Every one of you needs the support. You need the encouragement. You may not think of it, but here's what Paul says. The I." cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And that's especially true when you come up to those opportunities of standing in the gap, and uh, you feel a little bit nervous about that. Now, I think the flip side of that is true as well. When you see other people who are out there lonely, standing in the gap, you need to be of encouragement and of support to them as well. Another essential is prayer. Uh, verse 18 shows why he called his friends that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Down through history, men and women who have stood in the gap have almost always consistently been men and women of prayer. And it's not just the big names like Luther and Knox and Calvin and Wishart and other people like that. There are housewives and other men who have stood in the gap for their families and their neighborhoods and in other areas and have been mightily blessed by God, in spite of the, because in spite of the busyness of their schedules, God has driven them to prayer. And I think prayer is a prerequisite to standing in the gap. Now, I want you to notice how important this prayer was to Daniel. Sometimes we talk about uh, having an attitude of prayer throughout the day, and I think we ought to. We have, I have a constant awareness of God's presence and power. But Daniel had that, and it was not a substitute for those times of intense intercession spontaneously when he was woken up in the night and praying, uh, or his regular habit of prayer, or it speaks of seasons of prayer. And I want you to turn with me over to Daniel 6 and verse 10 to see the kind of habit that Daniel had developed even from these earliest times. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, With his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now, I'm not saying that's God's pattern for you, but I am saying that when gaps need to be filled, the people God uses are people who are given to prayer, given to prayer. It's often in the seasons of prayer that God's guidance and his leading are given uh, verse 19 says, then, not before, but then, it was after the prayer the guidance was given, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. If Trinity is to stand in the gap in Omaha, we need discernment. We need guidance. We need the characteristics that come from these verses, and I don't think we'll achieve those if we are not given to prayer. Uh, I long for a much more spirit-led, spirit-driven ministry. Many times my ministry is circumstance-driven. Uh, the work that needs to get done, the things that come into my life, but having that discernment from the Spirit as to the things we ought to do and the things we ought not to do. There were ministries that looked like brilliant opportunities for Christ to take a, a hold of, and He rejected those. He refused those. And there were others that maybe sometimes we might have, in our busyness, rejected that Christ ministered to. But I long to have much more of a Spirit-empowered ministry than I presently do. And I would ask you to pray for me. I think we're a congregation that loves to work, and it's good to work. But we need that guidance from the Spirit as to how we should work. Another major theme that we see in these verses is a God-centered perspective. And when Daniel receives his vision, his first impulse is not to run to his friends and tell them about it. Uh, or run to Nebuchadnezzar, get on with his work, tell Nebuchadnezzar, okay, I've got the answer. That's my first impulse is to immediately run into into the doing of things. But he falls down and he worships God and he praises God. He exalts the Lord on high, expresses his confidence and faith that God is in control of this situation. He, he thanks the Lord. And I am convinced that uh, we need to be more involved in worship if we are to be more used by the Lord in action. It's a beautiful, beautiful prayer. And let me read that again for you. Verses 20 through 23. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with Him." I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we ask of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. I believe worship and praise are a prelude to usefulness. And one of the reasons for it is that that takes us out of our own self-centered agendas into glorifying the Lord. And I think even in terms of the order that is given here, uh, there's a significance because As he worships God for who he is, he sees the greatness of God. That lifts his soul into praise to the Lord. And as he praises this great God, his faith is increased because the bigger our God, the bigger our faith. And that leads very naturally into thanksgiving. Many writers have, in the last 10 years, been lamenting about how self-centered and how selfish the American church is. Now that is true, it is no wonder then that the American church is so prayerless. It is no wonder then that the American church's worship is so man-centered rather than God-centered. Why we have so little thanksgiving, why we have so little faith to expect God to accomplish great things in our generation. I think those 4 subpoints are necessary for having a God-centered perspective on life. Worship, praise, and uh, trust and thankfulness. But this is not a call to pietism with no action, and it's not a call to action without experiencing the Lord's, the reality of His presence in our life. I think those are all beautifully in balance in Daniel's life. Uh, we see His action orientation in verses uh, 14, uh, 16, uh, 17, and in verse 24. Verse 24 says, Therefore Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king his interpretation. He didn't just pray and say, Okay, Lord, it's up to you. Uh, Bail us out of this situation. Now, he took the necessary steps to avert the disaster. See, prayer is not the means of having God do the work for us. Prayer is the means of receiving from the Lord His resources so that we can do the work of the ministry. And yet so many Christians, the way they pray... They're in effect saying, Lord, zap me, zap me. I don't want to go through the struggles and the steps that are necessary to conquer this besetting sin. I don't want to go through all the process necessary to win the victory in this area of ministry. Zap me, make an instant result. Well, think about it. Does God zap the farmer when the farmer prays for success? Well, obviously not. He expects that farmer to do plowing and to be planting the seed and harvesting that seed when Christ told the disciples to pray, to raise up workers for the harvest, uh, they did pray. But in the next chapter, they're willingly devoting themselves to that same work. And if we pray for missions, but we do not do our part, God will curse our prayers. And if we pray that God will bring salvation to our children's life, and we never speak to our children about spiritual realities, God will curse our prayers. And if we pray our nation will come back to God and we're not salt and light in our nation, God will curse our prayers. Men and women who have stood in the gap have not just been involved in prayer. They have been willing to take action as God has burdened them for particular areas of ministry. We must be people of action. Now, of course, that's balanced again with God's leading and his empowering. But I want to reread the last part of verse 24 because I think it shows something very remarkable about Daniel. Uh, He went and said thus to to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king and I will tell the king the interpretation. I think it's a remarkable statement when you think about it, because these men were serving Satan's purposes. They had demonic teaching, and he could have very easily taken the attitude, well, good riddance to them. Maybe we'll get more of our friends here in the administration. We want God's judgment on them. No, he had compassion on these people that were headed toward hell, and he wanted to avoid their destruction. And we need to pray that God would give us a burden for our society, which is on the brink of falling into hell. When we're callous about the destiny of the lost, we do not have hearts. After We're not men and women after God's own heart. Uh, I think it's unlikely that you'll stand in the gap for your relatives if God has not given you a burden for your relatives. It is unlikely that you're going to stand in the gap for our society if you're not weeping for society right now. See, Christ gave His life for Jerusalem because He wept over Jerusalem. Let me read to you from Matthew. Christ said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I think one of the things that struck me with real force as I was preparing this sermon is I need more of this God-given burden in my own ministry. I think this would give me much more passion in my prayers, much more passion in my ministry. And you need a minister who can stand in the gap. And if I am to do that, I need a spirit-given burden that would give fire in my preaching, give fire in my counseling, give fire in my outreach. And I share this with you because I need this burden if my ministry is to be more effective. And I want you to pray that the Lord would enable me to do that. I want to be a man who can stand in the gap in Omaha. In verses 25 through 28, we see humility. And I believe this too is a characteristic of those who are on fire for God. In fact, there is nothing quite like pride to quench the fire and to dry up the spirit in our service. Uh, let's read the description of, of Daniel's humility, beginning in verse 25. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. Now, it doesn't appear that Arioch has a great deal of this uh, humility Um, he's taking credit in, in effect to himself. Nobody else has been able to find these people. It looks like it was all over, but hey, I'm here to save the day. I found what you've been looking for, Nebuchadnezzar. And he's willing for Daniel to have some credit too. He says that Daniel is able to do this. And again, the way the king phrases his question, it could have been a perfect segue into Daniel taking some credit to himself. It says in verse 26, the king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? You know, we all like to be well thought of. It would have been very easy for him to say, yeah, I'm able to do that, and it would have been the truth, but it wouldn't have been the whole truth, and it would have robbed God of his glory. And certainly the inability of the otherwise wise men in verse 27 could have been justification for pride. I'm doing what no other person was able to do, but Daniel rejects any of those inclinations toward pride, and he wants to make it unmistakably clear to Nebuchadnezzar, no one but God can receive the glory. <clears throat> verse uh, 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Look at the last clause in verse 29. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. And then negatively in verse 30 he says, it wasn't revealed to me because I'm particularly good or particularly wise. He says, but as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living, but for our sakes who make known the interpretation to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. What an incredible testimony. The question I have is, would you have done the same thing if you were in Daniel's shoes? And I question whether I would do that or would I, whether I would, at least for a little while, bask in the glory that Nebuchadnezzar was quite willing to heap upon me. In Tom Peter's book, In Search of Excellence, he mentions a psychological study where men, adult men, were asked to rank themselves on, quote, their ability to get along with others. Here's the, the results. 100% of the men ranked themselves above average ranked themselves in the top 10%, and uh, 25% of the men humbly thought that they were in the top 1% of the population. Humility does not come naturally. I have seen pride in my own life. I have heard people say they have seen pride in our own congregation. And uh, if our church is to be used by God to stand in the gap, we have got to bury pride six feet under, and every time it resurrects itself, we've got to put it down. James says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And if we are to stand in the gap, and if we are to be effective as a church in Omaha, we've got to have God's help, not his resistance. The last item I've highlighted as being essential if we're to stand in the gap is an uncompromising rejection of humanistic solutions. Now, just in case, Nebuchadnezzar might think that Daniel got his wisdom from the same source that the others did, He says in verse 27, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. He did not want the glory of God's kingdom being robbed by giving any credit to humanism. And yet, unfortunately, that is precisely what Christians have been doing in our day. They've not made the clear demarcation between what is God's wisdom and the wisdom of this world. Uh, rather than looking to uh, the, the, the law of God for civil politics, people have gone to the world's political solutions. Uh, rather than looking to uh, the, the, the Bible's solutions which crucify our flesh, they look to psychology solutions which don't make our flesh feel quite that bad. I think it was in uh, the Sunday school lesson this morning, the verse that um, the teacher brought up, that the people at that time kept crying peace, peace, when there is no peace, and it says, you are healing my people lightly. And I see that as what is going on. We have substituted humanism in family, in church, in state, in almost every level of society, and we wonder, why is the Lord not blessing our efforts? And God says, I will not share my glory with any other. If you are mixing those categories, you're giving credit to the world where the credit belongs all to God. And I think we have a desperate need for people who will stand in the gap in our society, giving God the glory that He deserves with wisdom, with boldness, in a body life, relationship, with prayer. We need guidance more than ever. We need all of these characteristics. And I want you to be praying this next week, and as you discuss this evening, praying that God would shake the church in America, shake our church, and fill us with His Spirit so that we would be prepared as men and women who would be prepared to stand in the gap. Amen.